Good morning, church. Our reading for today is actually in the book of Acts, but uh, we are just going to read chapters uh, 13, verses 1 to 16, and then we skip some, then we proceed to top verses 28 down to 52. So if you are using the, by, the book, the church Bible, you can find it in pages 894 to 896. Now, in the church at Antioch, there were prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simon called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manane, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, Set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So after they had fasted and prayed, they placed their hands on them and sent them off. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of God in the Jewish synagogue. John was with them as their helper. They traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul was an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. You will, will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord. From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga in Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. From Perga, they went on to Pisidian Antioch, and on the Sabbath, they entered the synagogue and sat down. After the reading from the law and the prophets, the leaders of the synagogue sent word to them, saying, Brothers, if you have a word of exhortation for the people, please speak. Standing up, Paul motioned with his hand and said, Fellow Israelites and you Gentiles who worship God, listen to me. And let's go down to verse 28. Though they found no proper ground for a death sentence, they asked Pilate to have him executed. When they had carried out all that was written about him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he was seen by those who had traveled with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to our people. We tell you the good news. What God promised our ancestors, he has fulfilled for us, their children, by raising up Jesus. 
as it is written in the second song, You are my son. Today I have become your father. God raised him from the dead so that he will never be subject to decay, as God has said. I will give you the holy and sure blessings promised to David. So it is also stated elsewhere, you will not let your Holy One see decay. Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he fell asleep. He was buried with his ancestors and his body decayed. But the one whom God raised from the dead did not see decay. Therefore, my friends, I want you to know that through Jesus, the forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. Through him, everyone who believes is set free from every sin, a justification you were not able to obtain under the law of Moses. Take care that what the prophets have said does not happen to you. Look, use coffers, wonder and perish, for I am going to do something in your days that you would never believe even if someone told you. As Paul and Barnabas were leaving the synagogue, the people invited them to speak further about these things on the next Sabbath. When the congregation was dismissed, many of the Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who talked with them and urged them to continue in the grace of God. On the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. When the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy. They began to contradict what Paul was saying and hit abyss on him. Then Paul and Barnabas answered them boldly, We had to speak the word of God to you first, since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life. We now turn to the Gentiles, for this is what the Lord has commanded us. I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and honored the word of the Lord, and all who were appointed for eternal life believed. The word of the Lord spread through the whole region, but the Jewish leaders incited the God-fearing women of high standing and the leading men of the city. They stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and expelled them from their region. So they shook the dust off their feet as a warning to them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Celine. If you can keep your Bibles open to Acts chapter 3 as we go through it, I'm sure it will help you as it will help us, help me. Um, but let's pray that God will speak to us this morning. Once again, we thank you so much for your word that it's living and active, sharper than two-edged sword. And we pray now that you would prepare our hearts for your word to be sown, that it might take deep root in our hearts and, and bear fruit in the way that we live. In Jesus' name, amen. It's not that I have an unhealthy fascination, uh, but I do like cars. And it's great being in Hong Kong because you can just go to any sort of... Um, indoor car park to see things like Lamborghinis and Aston Martins and Audi R8s fairly regularly. My friend has a theory on why men love cars. Uh, he, has a, he, he says it's because you can describe it both as masculine and feminine, as, as, as really powerful but also really beautiful. 
Um, anyway, one of the most unique cars in the world uh, is Porsches. You'd recognize the Porsche design anywhere. This is uh, from 1964. 1964, it's quite uh, uh, different uh, from the one that came out a couple of years back in 2016. But both, as you see, 1916 and 1964, you unmistakably recognize both as Porsches. Because although the mechanics change, although they do some tweaks here and there, there is something about Porsche design that remains exactly the same. The church, the church has grown. It, it, it changed throughout the history. And what we see here in chapter 13 is another transition that has come into the church. Main characters change from Peter to Paul. The location changes from Jerusalem to Antioch. The audience changes from Jews to the Gentiles. But unmistakably, it's the same church. The essence of the church, what it makes the church, stays exactly the same. And it's the same church, it's the same message that goes out, and it's the same warning that goes out. As young parents, Mary and I are always doing these first, counting all the first things that Barnabas does. A week ago, uh, he went on his first hike to the peak. He spent a night, for the first time, away from home uh, in the 20s and 30s weekend away with Mary. He tasted a little bit of uh, ice cream the other day. I'm not sure if we're supposed to feed him ice cream right now. But, um, but reading the beginning of Acts is a bit like this because there are all these firsts. The first time that the Holy Spirit fell in Jerusalem. First time that the gospel reaches Samaria. The first time that a Gentile is converted and so on. What we see here is a church in transition, a church that is undergoing rapid changes because of Jesus Christ, right? Because before, Christianity was a Jewish sect made up entirely of converts of Judaism. But the good news of Jesus started to spread from Jerusalem to Samaria, Judea to Samaria, and to uh, now the Gentile territories. And if you think about it, Judaism had necessarily been confined to Jerusalem because the temple was there. If people wanted to worship one true God, they had to come to Jerusalem to make that sacrifice, to meet God in, through those, uh, the, 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 the sacrifice and the temple. But now that Jesus had become a sacrifice once and for all, and now that he had removed the barrier between us and God, the sin that, that blocks, God could be in relationship with anyone, anywhere around the world. And God showed this to be true by sending the Holy Spirit to the Jews and the Gentiles alike, to all those who put their trust in Jesus. And so it's significant now that Jerusalem takes a back seat. And now Antioch, Antioch, uh, the city in modern-day Syria, will be the base for mission, not Jerusalem. And look at the diversity of its leaders that's mentioned in verse 1, chapter 13. Look at the diversity. Barnabas is a Jew from Cyprus. Simeon is almost certainly an African since he's called Niger, black. Lucius is, uh, is from Cyrene, a city in modern-day Libya. Menaean was brought up in the court in Herod Tetrarch. And then there was the rabbi turned Christian, Saul. Luke is deliberately telling us that the leadership of the Antiochian church was diverse. 
that no longer Christianity is just for one kind of people, not just for the Jews, not, not just one type of people. Its diversity puts most churches, modern churches, uh, to shame as we look around the world. And this diverse church does something that is remarkable, another first in the book of Acts. Take a look at verse 3. They placed their hands on them and they sent them off. For the first time in history, they go on a missionary journey. For the first time in history, uh, missionaries, the church sends out missionaries to the rest of the world. Thus far, the gospel spread through people speaking wherever they went. But there wasn't a missionary that was commissioned by the church to go out. A few weeks back, as we talked about the gospel going to Samaria and to the Ethiopian eunuch, we talked about the problem of racism. The belief that gospel is for all people means that we are a family made up of diverse people. And that means that we need to cure our hearts of racism, right? We need to look at the gospel and how God is reconciling us to all people around us. But there is another perhaps more obvious application to our belief that the gospel is for all people. If we believe this, it means that we don't just care for those around us, but we are concerned for all those who do not have access to the gospel still. The, the, the people still who do not know the good news of Jesus Christ for, around the world because the gospel is for all people, people all around the world. So the church sent out missionaries. I've read in a church growth book that I read recently, uh, that a medium-sized church like ours can feel very nice. Uh, Ray Evans, the author, describes a mid- mid-sized church like this. He writes, it's a bit like having a 10-year-old daughter. She enjoys being that age. Hormones haven't kicked in. Boyfriends haven't arrived. And she isn't out until the early hours. So you, as parents, also enjoy life too. He then says, actually, the problem with a mid-sized church can be that it can be inward-looking. It can be satisfied with itself, its fellowship, and what's going on. Friends, we don't want to be that church. Our mission statement says, growing in Jesus, sharing our lives, and reaching the world. Reaching the world, and part of that must include sending out missionaries to the places where people haven't heard the gospel, people don't have access. Did you notice how the calling to go out didn't go to just individuals. It's not Barnabas and Paul who stand up in the middle of the prayer and say, prayer meeting and says, I-, I want to go out as missionaries. I have received that calling. No, that's not how that works, right? The church received that call as they prayed together. And they confirm that call by fasting and prayer together. The church, after fasting and prayer, lay their hands and send them out You see, this is their, the church's mission work. Paul and Barnabas are their missionaries. Their work is an extension of the work of the church in Antioch. Sure, our work is primarily here in Shatin as as a body, but if we truly, truly believe that the gospel is for all people, we must be concerned about the Hui people in China. Muslims in the Middle East, thoroughly secularized people in Japan, and many other places where people do not yet have access to the gospel. 
you know, I was uh, Barnabas, uh, Barney, uh, I was praying for Barney as I was, uh, um, uh, as I was um, uh, uh, thinking about this, because his name is Barn- Bar- Barnabas, right? And then I, for the first time, I, I mean, I, I started to pray. I, I pray, maybe uh, pray that God would make him a missionary. To, um, sorry, um, you know, you, we all want our children to grow up with the best life. But man, if we believe that the gospel really is for all people, that this is the greatest news that anybody can ever hear, maybe we could raise our children, encourage them to go out to the world where people have not heard the gospel, even though it's, it might be hard for you as parents. Let's encourage our kids to do this. Let's send out missionaries as Christians here in, Hong, uh, in, in Shatin Church. Let's not rest until all have heard the good news of Jesus Christ. So Saul and Barnabas are sent out in their first missionary journey. Actually, verse 9 is the last time, actually, uh, Saul is referred as Saul uh, in the book of Acts. He's now called Paul. Uh, because it's, uh, Saul is a Jewish name, and the focus of, a gospel, a, a focus of Acts will change to uh, Gentile territories. He'll be now called Paul by his Greek name. He's an apostle sent out to the Gentiles. As you can see on the map, they first go to Cyprus, then to Perga, to Pisidian Antioch, the region now we, we, we now know as uh, Galatia. And there, uh, they, as was the pattern, they first go into the synagogue. The rabbis must have recognized Paul's learning because he's given a chance to speak to the congregation. And his sermon is recorded in verse 16 and, and, and on. And there are many great things to note about the sermon, but most important, I think, is that this is practically the same sermon that Peter preached in chapter 2 uh, after the uh, Pentecost. It's similar in style, length, and content. As you can see, uh, they both talk about the fulfillment of the Old Testament in Jesus Christ, of Old Testament prophecies. The climax of both sermons is that Jesus Jesus died, but then God did not abandon him to just his death, that God raised him up. They even quote from the same psalm, Psalm 16, you will not let your Holy One see decay. They both mention how they were were witnesses to Jesus' resurrection. Peter says in chapter 2, verse 32, we are all witnesses. Whereas Paul says in verse 31, uh, chapter uh, 13, that they are now his witnesses. They both plead with the listeners to turn to Christ to receive forgiveness of sins. They both end with the warning, save yourselves from this corrupt generation or or take care that what the prophets have, have said does not happen to you. You look scoffers, wonder and perish. Luke is doing this um, on purpose. Peter and Paul are uh, preaching the same message of the gospel. Though the speakers are different, but they're preaching to different audiences at different times that they're preaching the same message of the gospel. Porsche uh, might, might change machinery inside and tweak the design, but it's the same Porsche, right? This begs the question then for us, what makes Christianity, Christianity, what makes Christianity unique? What makes it different from all other religions? 
may say it's not miracles. Other religions have them too. Today, our text, Elymas, says Elymas is a sorcerer. He must have done wondrous things. It's not also our belief that we can be part of creating a better world. Other religions believe that too, and they work hard at it too. What makes Christianity unique is, was the message of Peter and Paul. It's the message of Jesus Christ. The good news is that he lived a righteous life but died a sinner's death to take away our sins. That God raised him up from his grave and raised him up and made him our Savior and our Lord. That trusting him means receiving forgiveness of sins and Christ's righteousness. That's what Peter, uh, Paul and Barnabas went to Cyprus to preach, to proclaim the word of God to the proconsul there. Yes, Paul does this wondrous miracle of blinding this eye, uh, eyes of uh, Elymas the sorcerer, which we'll talk about soon. But he didn't go there to heal or to do miracles. When he heals, it's incidental. When he does miracles, they're side stories like they are in this chapter. And take a look at what this, how the proconsul comes to believe in Jesus. Verse 32. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed for he was amazed at the teaching about the Lord, right? He becomes, it becomes an, in, uh, because of this wondrous thing happened, he listens, but he believes because of the teaching about Jesus Christ. Now, perhaps we have a tendency to dress up, dress up the gospel because we think that this message is boring or irrelevant or powerless, Maybe we spend a great amount of time creating powerful, trying to create a powerful atmosphere through music in the church. Or make uh, church more hip and relevant. I don't know, some churches, uh, pastors dress better than me. <laughs> I mean, and we work hard at the sermons. I, mean, I work hard at sermons trying to make it elegant, el um, eloquent, and, and, and powerful. Some might emphasize miraculous elements of Christianity, but please don't be mistaken. Throughout generations and throughout the world, the power of Christianity is in the simple message of Jesus' death and his resurrection. And that's what restores our relationship with God. That's what uh, lifts the crushing burden of sin. That's what changes our eternal uh, destiny, destiny and gives hope for today. Jesus' death and resurrection and that's what the churches around the world are founded on. Whether it's in Turkey or Nigeria or in Hong Kong, whether that was 2,000 years ago or today, the message which, with which we are sent out is a simple message of Jesus' death and resurrection and the forgiveness of sins that are found in him. And that is good news, that all who comes to Jesus are changed but it also whenever the gospel goes out it goes out with a warning as well and there are warnings everywhere in this chapter but there are warnings everywhere that we might not get a second chance that the word of God will continue to go out whether we accept it or not the first story in this chapter was the sobering story of Elymas bar Jesus Remember, he's a Jew. His father's name was Jesus, or Yahweh saves. 
But rather than recognizing Christ, he tries to prevent the proconsul from hearing the word of God, Sergius Paulus, from hearing the good news in verse 8. And filled with the Spirit, Paul rebukes him in the strongest terms in verse 10. You are son of the devil. You are not bar Jesus, he's effectively saying. You are bar Satan, son of Satan, an enemy of everything that is right. And immediately Paul blinds him. His spiritual blindness is made explicit through his physical blindness. Blindness isn't what happened to every opponent of the gospel, but what happened to him does serve as a warning, doesn't it? Remember, he's a Jew. He was the one who had the spiritual legacy, heritage of the Old Testament, the promised Messiah. But it's not him who is saved. He's blinded, and the gospel went to the Gentile proconsul, Paulus, Sergius Paulus. And when Paul goes to the synagogue in Pisidian Antioch, he gives the same warning. Warning to the Jews who were gathered there to worship God on that Sabbath day. Remember what he said towards the end of that sermon in verse 40. Look, you scoffers, wonder and perish. Wonder and perish. And look what happens when they do reject the gospel. We're told in verse 43 that many Jews and proselytes came to be followers of Jesus. And the next day, the whole region, whole city came to hear him speak. But when the Jewish leaders saw it, they were filled with jealousy, verse 45, and began persecuting him, persecuting them. And Paul responds with these sobering words. We had to speak the word of God to you first. Since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to Gentiles. God had promised the Jewish people a Messiah, that the Messiah would come. So Paul and Barnabas go to the synagogues to proclaim that their long-awaited Messiah had come. But when they reject the Messiah, they don't wait for long. They go out to the Gentiles. And this becomes a pattern for Paul's ministry. Ever, wherever he goes, he goes to the uh, Jews first, but when they reject him, he moves on to the Gentiles. And when they're expelled from that region, Paul and Barnabas, in verse 51, shook the dust off their feet and went on to Iconium. It was a way of saying, I don't want even the dust, uh, your dirt on me. I have nothing to do with you. Here's a warning in this chapter. Everyone, everyone needs to receive the gospel. No matter their ethnicity, religious background, class, or nationality. You see, it wasn't enough to be a Jew. Part of God's chosen people, they needed to receive the good news of Jesus Christ. And when they didn't, the word of God went on. And as you know, this, that sort of change is, has happened throughout history. Europe was once mostly Christian. So much, of the, uh, so much so that people still think that Christianity is a Western religion, not a Middle Eastern one. Think of the rich heritage of Christianity in Europe. All the churches and all the artwork and music and literature. They were bearers of the gospel for so long. But now, the majority of Christians live in the global south, in Africa and Asia. There are more church-attending Anglicans in Nigeria than there are in England. You might have come from a family that have been 
Christian for five, six, seven generations, but you still need to receive the gospel yourself because the good news and its warnings are given to you today just as it was for, uh, to, to people uh, hearing, hearing it for the first time. We lean on many things to think of ourselves as safe. For some, it's their good works. For others, it's religious, uh, religiosity. So for others, it might be spiritual heritage. My parents are Christians. Uh, my children are Christian. My wife is a Christian. That's got to count for something. No, friends, we have to receive the gospel personally. And one more thing before we, I, we need to then take the urgency of the gospel. Urgency of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ goes out to everyone. And they might not, uh, the people that, that receive the gospel might not always have the opportunity to receive it. We've all been to funerals of uh, people who are not Christian. They might not get a second chance. God is gracious and merciful, kind and compassionate, but that doesn't mean that he will wait forever. And if you're a non-Christian here today visiting us, we're just really thankful that you have visited us. Would you take this message? Today might be the day of your salvation. Turn to Christ. Thank God that actually the good news of Jesus Christ is for all people. All people. Everyone who believes in him is set free. And if that's what we believe as a church, let's not rest. Let's not rest until people all around us, people all over the world, have heard the good news of Jesus. And let's be clear that we are bringing the good news of Jesus his death and resurrection and forgiveness that's found in him. And let's examine our hearts to see if this is a message that we have personally received. And let's urge the people around us to receive it as well. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for the good news of the gospel that has come to us, that we have come to know you, that we have come to love you as our Savior and Lord. And we pray that we'll be a church that is not complacent, that is not lazy. Lord, we pray that you will open our eyes to see the great work that you are doing all around the world and help us to participate in that. And help us to go out with the same gospel that you've given to Peter and to Paul and to all of us. And we pray that those around us will hear it urgently and turn to you today. In Jesus' name, amen.